I'd like to start this morning by giving glory and honor to God um, for this opportunity to serve in ministry and to walk in and live out my call. Um, All good and perfect things come from God. And the ability to walk in your call and know that you're walking in your call is a gift. So I'd just like to publicly honor God for that. Um, I'd also like to say thanks to Doug. Um, One thing I'd like to thank him for is the fact that he does three services every Sunday. (sighs) (laughs) Um, So your pastor is a blessing. You should be thankful for for him. I certainly am. And for the leadership team here, um, I think this journey sort of started months ago when Celina hosted a breakfast um, for other pastors to come and learn about this ministry. And so there has been much time committed to this moment. So I'm thankful for the, the due diligence that, that has gone forth. Um, I'd also like to take a moment to honor my children um, for their support, the conscious and subconscious sacrifices they make that I might be able to stand here with you today. Um, and then I'd also like to thank my husband and honor him for the work that he does in my absence so that I might have an opportunity to work in ministry. Um, I'd like for us to turn to John chapter 10, verse 10. It's a scripture that you may know very well. And we're going to read it together this morning. This is the passage from whence the message will come today. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief is able to steal, kill, and destroy by manipulating our minds and the ways in which we think about defining life to the full, having life more abundantly, having a rich and satisfying life. But today, we are going to defy the enemy by redefining the ways in which we think about how we live life and have it to the full, how we truly define life in its abundance. Jesus says that he has come that we might have life. So the natural inverse of this statement is that if Jesus had not come, we would have no life. There would literally be no life at all. No abundant life, no meager life, no rich life, no poor life, no full life, no empty life, no life at all. That must then by default mean that Jesus is the embodiment of life. Because without Jesus there wouldn't be life, it must mean then that Jesus 
is the embodiment of life. And what's interesting about this notion of Jesus as the embodiment of life is that Jesus was not made of silver nor gold. Jesus didn't have a fancy car or a big house. Jesus did not have a 401k. And even if he had, it wouldn't have done him much good because he died when he was 33. So if these are the things that we use to define life in its abundance, but Jesus didn't have these things, and we know that Jesus was the manifestation of life in its abundance, then there's something wrong with the way in which we are defining life in its abundance. How then should we define the abundance of life? How should we define the abundance of life? Well, we know that we have been called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. So it is important that we define abundant life in the same ways in which the one we are to model after defines abundant life. How else can we move like Jesus moves, speak like Jesus has called us to speak, act in the ways that Jesus would act, pray in the ways that Jesus would have us to pray. If we are not operating by the same definition of the abundance of life that Jesus did. This is why it is critical for us to know really what Jesus intended by his words, life abundantly. So we've established that Jesus did not have much in regards to material wealth. What did Jesus have? Well, we know from the situation with the woman at the well, that Jesus had love and Jesus had patience and Jesus had kindness. We know that. We know from the ways in which Jesus operated in changing the course of the church that Jesus was generous but also practiced self-control. We see many different situations in the Bible where Jesus gave people opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity. And that is because of the abundant love of Jesus and the abundant kindness of Jesus and the incredible faithfulness of Jesus and the extreme generosity of Jesus. These are the fruits of the Spirit as they are talked about in Galatians chapter 5. These are the qualities that Jesus had pressed down, shaken together, and running over. These are the resources that Jesus manifested in excess. And so if we are to define life in its abundance, in the ways that Jesus defined life, in its abundance, if we are truly to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, 
then we must also work to gather an excess amount of love, an amazing amount of kindness, generosity out of proportion, excess self-control, and extreme faithfulness. These are the resources that we can have in sheer abundance if we are to define life abundantly in the ways that Jesus Christ defined it. So there rises a new question because we have stuff and we call these things that we have blessings and blessings come from God. But if these are not the things that we are to use to define life's abundance, then what do we have the stuff for? What was the stuff intended to do? Well, I know that ministry is very challenging work. It, it, it's hard work and, and we have to work at it and we have to be healthy and whole in order to do ministry. So a part of the reason why we've been afforded this stuff is to take care of ourselves and not to let the stuff define us to a place where we end up sick and hurting ourselves and one another in the name of the stuff. The stuff was intended to keep us whole and keep us healthy and keep us willing and keep us able so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is what the stuff was intended to do for us. What else? Well, if we're practicing kindness, and we're practicing extreme generosity, and we're practicing love beyond measure, and patience in excess, if we are truly practicing the fruit of the Spirit in the ways in which Jesus Christ practiced the fruit of the Spirit, we will give the stuff away. See, sometimes God gives us things, and sometimes God gives us stuff outside of ourselves and inside of ourselves that we were never intended to keep. And sometimes God gives things to other people stuff outside of themselves and stuff inside of themselves that they were never intended to keep. God gave somebody something that was intended for you. And God gave you something that was intended for somebody else. Dr. King once said, I'll never be the best me I can be until you're the best you you can be. And you'll never be the best you you can be until I'm the best me I can be. It's what I call the reciprocity of ministry. If I'm not willing to hold your hand, if I'm not willing to share your heart, if I'm not willing to hear your story, then the thing that you have wrapped up inside of you that God intended for you to give me, I'll never be able to have it. And how then can I acquire life in its abundance if I'm not 
able to acquire the things God put inside of you for me. And unless you're willing to hold my hand and walk with me and talk with me and suspend what you've decided is your reality to hear about my reality, then you'll never get the things that God put inside of me for you. God was very intentional about doing this this way because it forces us to be in what Dr. King calls the beloved community. It's the ways in which we help to shape and grow one another. So as I work to define life abundantly, I took a year off of my, my job, my career, the thing I thought I was born to do, which was to be an administrator in Chicago public school system. And I talked to God about what does it mean to really have life in its abundance? Because as great as this life seems, it's so unfulfilling. You must have more for me than this. There has to be a better definition that comes out of John 10 and 10 than what I'm experiencing in my life right now. And I opened myself up to whatever it was God said. And Covenant Kids Congo came across to me in that year. The opportunity was revealed to me in that year. And I was trying very hard to be open to what God said. But it was the Congo part, the covenant part, I, I got that. The kids part, I'm an educator, that was easy. It was the Congo part that was causing me to struggle. And there are people who get really excited when they say, I've gone to Africa and I've done these. I didn't want to go to Africa. I had no feeling about going to Africa. Yes, I had a feeling. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't excited about it. I was scared to death of it. It gave me nightmares. I cried. I physically cried. I did not want to go because I was afraid. I was afraid of leaving my children, and I wondered what they would think. I was afraid because I had already defined my life and what it meant to have life abundant. And this was so far removed from the ways in which I had defined John 10 and 10 for my life. And I thought, I have a 12-year-old, and, you know, she needs me right now. And she wasn't excited about it either. And I came home one day with a picture of one of the children who my supervisor had taken a picture of this little girl when she had gone to Congo in times past. And the little girl, and you may have seen her on some branding before, she's standing with her arms folded like this and she's just looking. And she's just looking. And I was like, wow. I feel so indicted by this stare from this little girl. And as I was going through the interview process, I asked if I could take the picture of the girl home. And initially, I only intended to pray for her because I was not going to Congo. So this was it. And then I thought, I kept looking at her, and she just kept staring back at me. And I, I said, okay. So I prayed, and then I put the picture on my refrigerator because I thought, 
you know, we go to this refrigerator and we just kind of hang out. Like we stand and we look and it's usually the same stuff, but still we look and I ate that yesterday and, you know, you just kind of have choices. And, and when I closed the refrigerator, she was looking back at me and I could hear her as plain as day say, it must be nice. It must just be awesome to have those choices. So I was wrestling with that as I was making my decision. And my 12-year-old, who had already made her decision, came into the kitchen and she looked at the girl and she said, who is this girl? And I said, it's a little girl from Congo. And she said, mommy, does she have parents? And if that had been a picture of a kid from her school on our refrigerator, I would have said, Micaiah, everybody has parents. What kind of question is that? You can't get here without parents course she has parents but in that moment my patent answer did not work because I didn't know if she had parents or not and I thought what do I say to this child right now who's asking me this now poignant question and I said you know Micaiah I don't know she said, it's possible that this little girl doesn't have parents. And I said, honestly, it's possible that she no longer has parents. And my daughter said, is that what you're going to Congo to do? Are you going to Congo to help little girls like this little girl who may not have parents every day like I have parents every day? And I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And she said, then if I have to sacrifice having my mom with me every day so that this child can get some of the things that this child needs with no parents at all on any day, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And I thought, I have to go to Congo. This has to happen. Because it really is her sacrifice as well as it is my sacrifice. She really does give of her mother. She calls it her tithe now. I think that's so she can keep her allowance in her pocket. <laughs> We're working on that part. But it didn't only change the way that I define John 10 and 10. Her life is more abundant in my absence. In this particular case, less is actually more for her because she is giving up times when I might be at cheerleading or times when I would stand by the poolside for swimming lessons and times when we would argue back and forth about how, yes, you will finish soccer because you started soccer. She's giving up those lessons sometimes so that I can do this work, so that another little girl might have some things, some of the things that she has every day. This work that I do on the other side of the ocean has transformed John 10 and 10 for my 12-year-old. So when we think and we discern about what we want to give, what we want to share, how we will impart our resources, Please understand that this is just as much about us 
and the ways in which we define life in its abundance as it is about our Congolese brothers and sisters. Because we would not have grown in the ways that we have grown in our family if the Congolese brothers and sisters and friends of ours that we have did not exist for me to go there to receive the transformation. How many of you guys have experienced chicks? Did you go this past time? Uh, over $140,000 were raised by our covenant kids on behalf of countries like Congo, like Sudan, like India, like Colombia. I was at Chick, and I watched kids pray their way past the pizza truck and hold on to their cash so that they could give that money in the offering. And I watched kids tell other kids to do the same thing. It changed their lives without them being there. I saw one young girl who decided, I met this girl who decided that she was going to do belly flops for Congo. Not my ministry. But whosoever will, I suppose. And she made a commitment that she was going, for every belly flop she did, she asked her friends to make a donation. And she raised like $300 for Congo doing belly flops at Chick. And I thought to each his own for sure. But our children's lives were affected at Chick because they heard the story. And that's how we define life in its abundance. When we look to discover the definition of what it means to have an abundant life, we have to figure out how to take what we thought it was and suspend it for a season in an effort to redefine what it is, to find those things that we may have lost along the way, like what love really means and what it really means to be hospitable and what it really means to worship and how it, how it really feels to, to experience a mother's love like my daughter did. These are the terms that have to be redefined that lead to the redefinition of life in its abundance. But unless we're willing to suspend the ways in which we define John 10 and 10, perhaps our entire lives, unless we're willing to revisit those definitions that we may be so absolutely sure are right and pure and authentic and intentional, we will never get to see the transformation that comes from just reconsidering for a second, from just laying aside who we are and sitting with somebody and resting in their story and saying, I know what life abundant feels like for me, what does that feel like for you? Because a mother in Congo would say, life abundant for me feels like choir rehearsal at 11.30 at night because that's when I finally had time and that's when the women in this community have time to have choir rehearsal. And we will not put head to pillow until we have done that in the name of Jesus. That's life abundant for a woman in Congo. Life abundant for another man in Congo. His name is Liwolo. 
And there were lots of people named Lawolo, 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 Lawolo. I asked, what does this name mean? It was common like John or Bob. And the translator told me that the name means, I come after the one who died before me. This is a common name in the community. So I sat with Lawolo and I said, will you carry this tradition with your children? And his wife had lost a child. His wife, in fact, had just had another baby two weeks before I asked him the question. And he said, you know, I did not carry this tradition. I named my son Jules Mboka, who is the president of the Covenant Church in Congo. And I said, why did you change it? And he said, I want to give honor for the things that have meaning in my life. Because I was willing to suspend the ways in which I define John 10 and 10 for myself, I was allotted an opportunity, a privilege, to redefine the ways in which I define life in its abundance. So we're sitting, and we hear these stories, much like I heard these stories. And we were in Congo, and I experienced the people. And I experienced the ways in which they love one another and loved on me, even though they didn't even know me. And we ask ourselves, what can we do? What can I do? The first thing you can do is pray. You can pray for our brothers and sisters in Congo. You can pray for the team that's working on the ground there. You can pray for my team who work very, very hard every day. And as hard as we're working, we're feeling like we're always behind the ball because 16 children have passed away since this project started. We never even got a chance to get them sponsored because they died before we could get them sponsored in the program. You can act by sponsoring a child or by challenging someone else to sponsor a child. You can be hopeful because the people of Congo are not a pitiful people and they don't want our pity. They want us to assist. They want us to support. They want us to stand alongside. And I want us to be transformed by the precious gifts they are to us. And you can connect. And if that means that you go on a vision trip through the covenant, we have trips that will be happening this summer, trips that will be happening every year as part of this project. And if that's your call, that's great. But if it's not your call, you can read a book, you can go online, you can do research, you can go to the library, you can go on YouTube because they have as much technology as we do at this point. And you can hear the stories of the people we hope to support and allow yourself to be in the places where your heart is broken by the things that break God's heart. People love and appreciate and honor when you're just willing to be a listener, when you're willing to hear. And I guarantee you that if you take that step, your life will be changed and the ways in which you define life and its abundance will be transformed as well. And that's your gift from the Congolese to us. Let us pray.
Lord, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to hear from you this morning. We thank you for the ways in which you've connected us together. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us for the reciprocity of ministry. We thank you for revealing the ways in which the enemy might attempt to come against those things you've called us to do. And we pray your strength and your courage that you will continue to rest and abide with us as we will be moved and called to action in the ways in which we discern you have called us to action. Now as we go forth, allow us to be your hands and your feet in the ways in which you have determined is best. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.